What's going on, LYA? My name is Chase Sizemore, and I am a radiation therapist, and I am not a pastor. Never been to divinity school or anything like that. So if you're a first-time guest or new to a first-time guest, I'm very sorry, but you're going to have to wait two weeks to hear David speak. But I don't want you all tuning out now because God has an amazing message in store for us tonight. So just so y'all, we can get to know each other a little bit more since a lot of you probably don't know me. Um, I've been attending Liberty for about two years now, or just shy of two years, and i got to say it's been an incredible journey to get to where I'm at today. God has taken me a long way. And uh, you may have noticed me out in the lobby shaking hands, greeting people, talking about how to coffee or whatever it is that I feel like talking about that week. But a lot of you probably noticed noticed me from where I'm playing bass here just about every Tuesday. And I've played music for about 10 years, and I love it. If there's anything, though, that I can say is that music has taught me about this concept we call unity. See, when you're playing in a band with about 8 to 10 other people, and even one person gets off, it's very noticeable that someone is not in line. Someone is not where they need to be. Someone is not heading in the same direction that the other six, seven, or eight people are heading. And if you've ever heard like a really low bass note, be like, man, that doesn't sound right. Then, yep, yeah, that, that one's me. I'll take the blame for that one. And in much the same way, and in much in that same idea of how if one thing gets off, it causes a disunity or discord amongst people, Peter kind of talks about that here in uh, chapter 5 as we kind of close out this series. You know, he goes into all these great and deep details. He starts off talking about things like persecution and then goes into things about marriage and submission to marriage and how to work out your marriage. And then it kind of closes off with this last part about like spiritual foundation and understanding your spiritual basis and how that is to be. So you have to think that the people who got this letter are like, this is Peter. He is one of the 12. He is one of the people that God chose to have as part of his ministry. What's he going to talk about now? He talked about all this stuff. He's probably going to talk about something like the second coming or heaven, or he may even tell us how to deal with those annoying Alabama football fans. Sorry if you're one of those fans in here tonight. But in fact, he actually doesn't do that. He does nothing even remotely close to that. What he does is he says, I want you all to think about all these great deep topics that I just talked about. And then I want to bring it back down to the basics. And I think it's important that he does that because when you think about it, think of any athlete that you like. Think of any like musician you really enjoy listening to. Think of just anyone that you really kind of are like, wow, they are great at what they do. I guarantee you that person is as good as they are because they can do the basics extremely well. So as we get into this tonight, there are going to be four main points that I want us to go through, and those four main points are going to be showing up on the screen for you guys tonight. We're going to go through the whole chapter. I know you don't think I can do it, but I promise you we're going to do it tonight, all right? The first point is how we are called to minister to those around us. Second point is how to respond to those who minister to us. The third is how to view the enemy. And the fourth is unity throughout believers. And before we dig into God's word tonight, bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for this opportunity that we have right now, Father, just to pour into your word and to worship freely, Father, in this place. Thank you for all the people that uh, get together each and every week and make this thing possible, Father. 
I pray now that you just calm our hearts, clear our minds, and let us be receptive to the message that you have in store for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, so go ahead and flip and tap your way over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we're going to put it on the screen for you. So we're going to start with talking about the first point, which is how we are called to minister to those around us. Let's read in God's Word tonight. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So to kind of understand a little bit more about this, I think we should talk about shepherds and shepherding in general, since they actually use the word shepherding and use this analogy more times in Scripture than you will ever hear of things like the word pastor be used. Because so, shepherding was such a common activity, it was such a co- common uh, occupation at the time. So when he said shepherding, everybody knew what that was. So let's go into a few details about shepherding. Well, the first thing is that it was always done in a group. It was always a group of shepherds that would go out and keep tra- track of a massive flock. One person couldn't do it on his own. So it was always a group activity. It was always a group job. The second thing that you have to understand is that sheep have zero sense of direction. They are absolutely the most useless GPSs you could ever have in your life. You can literally take a sheep, and uh, we'll call him Steve. I'm sorry if you're saying as Steve tonight, but we're going to say Steve the sheep. So Steve the sheep is over here. He's getting water, and then he just casually walks over here. He's like, man, that water was really good. Wait, hold on. I'm lost. And he's just going to stand there, and then he's going to circle around and circle and circle until he dies because he doesn't know how to find for food apparently. This is like, I'm not like making this stuff up. I like Googled like three or four different things because I thought sheep cannot be this dumb. They are that dumb. I, I fact check this, guys. I promise. Another thing about sheep is that uh, the she- or another job of the shepherds is to make sure that the sheep have good food and clean water. And that's again because of our brilliant Steve the sheep here. He cannot discern what's good and what's right. If he takes in the bad food and the bad water, it's going to hurt him going to damage his system, and he's going to then die. So the shepherds have to keep track of that. And probably the last and probably the most important job that the shepherds have is simply to protect the flock. Why? Because, once again, Steve the sheep, dumb, unable to discern things, also has no defense mechanisms whatsoever. If you flip a sheep on its back, it will just sit there and lay, and it cannot get up. It's not like a dog. It rolls over. It'll just sit there like this and wait till something kills it. Or someone comes over and, like, kicks in and rolls it over. I, again, sheep, they're not, not exactly the greatest and smartest of God's creation, if you look at it like that. So, so why protect the sheep? Why protect these animals that literally just seem like they're absolutely helpless? Because they held great value to their master. The master would take these sheep and use them for sacrifices They would use the wool. They would use the milk from this animal. They were extremely valuable despite all the shortcomings that you think sheep would have. And the shepherds were responsible for them. If the shepherds allowed any harm to fall to sheep, whether it be that they get lost, they get hurt, or they die, the shepherds had to answer for that. So much in the same way leaders in the church are like shepherds. 
That's why they use this analogy. The, the leaders in the church are supposed to guide the people. They're supposed to set the example for the people to say, hey, this is how we are supposed to live as Christians. This is how I'm going to guide you and help you walk in your walk through life. They're supposed to provide the word and provide the food and the water. So that way it says, hey, this idea that's up here that may be a little harder to understand. Let's bring it down here and let's break it down so that way not only you know it, you can let others know it as well. And then they protect the people because without knowing how to protect ourselves, we're not going to know how to protect or hold on, wording. In case you couldn't tell, this is my first time. So, <laughs> so we have to have leaders to teach us how to, how to protect ourselves. Because if you go into it with no defense and no idea of how you're going to defend ourselves, the enemy, Satan, is very crafty and he will always find a way to get a foothold in your life. Whether it be some, some simple lie, maybe a little gossip, or maybe something more serious like an addiction. And people are really like sheep. It's a perfect analogy. It's easy for us to get lost and stray from God's word. We think, okay, we're focused on God, but then a relationship pops up, and that's more important. We think we're focused on God, we're following and striving towards him, but I think my career should, you know, take the priority right now, at least for a couple of years, five, six years, something like that. It's easy for us to get pulled away from what we're supposed to focus on, and that's God. It's hard for us to commune together. It's hard for us to understand those things without someone guiding us and breaking down those deep concepts because there are some things in scripture that you need to come together in a group. You need to talk about. You need to learn together about. So now at this point, you may be thinking, okay, so we're, we're leaders. We're shepherds. That's cool. So how do I shepherd? How do I lead people? And the answer to that is really simple. Just lead like Jesus did. Just lead like Jesus did. It was prophesied all the way back in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 11. It says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And then Jesus even refers to himself as a shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. If you lead the people of God, lead them like Jesus did. Okay, simple idea. So what does that look like? Let's look at verses 2 and 3 on the screen. It says here in part of it, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So do it out of love for God. Again, all these th points I'm going to make tonight are sound simple, but I don't want you to just overlook them. Do it for the love of God. Don't do it because you've been at the church for five, six years, and it makes sense that you step up into leadership. Don't do it because your friend is stepping up into leadership. Don't do it because your dad is an elder or something like that. Do it because God has given you the heart to serve. Do it because you want to serve God. And then let's look back at the text again. It also says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and be an example to the flock. So, so what do these things mean? If what you get out of ministry is the most important thing to you, and I don't know a gentler way to say this, but just don't minister. Don't step up in the church. Don't leave. If your own selfish goals are at the center of it, then God is not going to use you to the full extent of his ability. We're called to lead like Jesus leads. It says in Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. 
Some of you may have been hurt by poor leadership in the past, the type of leadership that is self-serving, that is only focused on like a numbers game or just growing more for themselves. And I'm sorry if that's the kind of leadership you've experienced before. I think at some point in time we've all been under something, whether it be with school or with work, to where that's what it feels like. But my Savior is a servant, and therefore I am a servant. I mean, like, what would happen if you went out to eat at a nice restaurant and you're like, this is going to be great, and the chef pulls up a seat next to you and is like, all right, so you're cooking dinner tonight, right? Like, it's just not going to work. We're called to serve. We're called to serve others. It says so in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you're thinking, well, I don't really feel like serving. So let me get this straight. If the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior that you cried out to for your own personal salvation, the one you look to in support during the trials and the hardships of your life and the hope of the world, that same Jesus that you believe in came to serve. So why do we think we're above serving? We may think we don't have enough time. We may think that there's too much else going on in our life. But we always prioritize our life about the things most important to us. If we want to serve others, we'll find the time to do it. We will always be able to find the time to do it. It's not our time anyway. We're just stewarding God's time. And you may think at this point, I, you get off easy. It's like, okay, so I'm not a pastor. I don't lead anything. I'm not like him up there with a microphone. I don't have to worry about any of this. Well, frankly, that's not true either. We're all called to leadership. And I can actually prove it to you. For me personally, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm not a pastor, but I'm a leader here at The Voyage because I know that God has called me to leadership at The Voyage. I help with the, with the kind of like service team here at the end. Me, Tim, Brian, LK, Gabby, and Emily Grace, we're all here at the end of every service. We're the response team. We're always here to help listen to you. If you need to talk about something or anything at any time, get a hold of us. We want to help you, we want to minister, and we want to serve you. And you're like, okay, well, that's, that's cool, but I don't want to serve on Tuesday night. All right, there are other ways to serve. I lead a small group in my house every Thursday, me and my co-leader, Matt Woodman. We lead a group every Thursday at 7. It's literally five minutes down the road. Getting in a community like that can be one of the greatest things for your spiritual growth and for serving God. So if you've ever thought about doing that, we have a Next Step Center that will be out there at the end of service. You all, we'll have a couple of people there that would love to help you get plugged into a group. And you're like, well, you know, that leadership thing, that sounds good, but it's really not for me. You know what? I can prove it yet another way. Are you a Christian? Seems like a very, like, straightforward question. Are you a Christian? And you say, well, yes, I am. Well, congratulations. You're now a leader. Matthew 28, chapters 16 through 20, talks about the Great Commission where it says, go and make disciples of all the earth. There isn't an age requirement, no pastoral requirement, no gender requirement. You believe, you minister, you disciple, and you pour into the ones that God's placed before you. Plain and simple. You and it kind of makes sense when you really kind of take a step back that all believers having to have this mentality. Like a simple example is that there are pe pe people that David meets in his life that I will never come into contact with, mainly because I don't do CrossFit. I'm not about that life. I'm not even going to attempt it, okay? 
So he knows people in that sphere that I'm never, ever going to come into contact with. And it works the other way around. I know people at my work and my job that David is never going to meet ever in his entire life. So when my time comes, God isn't going to ask David, hey, why weren't Chase's co-workers ministered better to? Why weren't they served better? Why weren't they led? He's going to ask me that. And to make it a little more personal, if that didn't get it, God's not going to ask why I didn't minister to your friends, your family, your lost co-workers, the people in your life that are crying out for the word of God. He's going to ask you why you didn't do it. It's a serious thing, and we have to treat it like it is. So I wanted to challenge you all kind of tonight to think of two people that you need to reach out to, two people that you need to let, two people that you need to be open to ministering to, two people that you can lead because we're all called to it. So now you think, well, okay, so why should we do these things? What's the point if all of it just seems like tedious, tedious repetitive things that we're honestly not promised much on this earth for? Look at... 1 Peter 5, verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We're going to stand before him one day. We're going to recount to him the things that we did, and probably, at least it feels like in my life, the things that I didn't do. We're going to have to answer for all of those things. None of it's going to matter if it's for our own personal glory. Christian leadership is solely for the love of God. That crown of life is not a crown for yourself. It's simply a display of the glory that we have given God during our time on earth. So that kind of wraps up how to be a good leader. So we're going to switch gears and go into the second point of the night. And it's the second point that Peter kind of talks about here. And it says, how do we respond to those who minister to us? So Peter gives advice on how to be a good member of the flock in the analogy or how to be a good member of the body of Christ. So for that, we're going to read in verses 5 and 7 in 1 Peter chapter 5. The text says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So the first thing I kind of want you to point out, there are two main things. The first is that he's targeting young people, which is everyone in this room except for Donald Whipple. <laughs> I love you, Donald. I, I just noticed you were there. You were in my sight. I love you, brother. <laughs> so he's targeting, he's targeting the young people in the passage of this verse. And that's because... And he, it kind of sounds like Peter's like, okay, I don't like the way the young people are doing things. I don't like how they're changing worship. I don't like how they're changing the leadership. I don't like how they're challenging different ideas. I don't like that. I don't like what the young people are doing. It sounds kind of oppressive when you think of it in that context. But Peter's, in fact, saying the exact opposite thing. And the Bible teaches the opposite thing. Just take a look at 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, let no one look down on you because you are young, but be an example to the believers in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. In this passage, Paul wants Timothy to show out in a huge way, in a way that honestly not many people do. He wants Timothy to live it out. Don't just name it and claim it. Live it out. 
If you ask almost any non-believer what their problem with the church is today, I guarantee you that probably over 70% of the people you talk to will say something along the lines of, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Christians are two-faced. They're constant liars. They think, they're, they think and live and tell me they live one way, but they're with me on Friday and Saturday. I see how they are, but Sunday morning comes around and they act there a whole lot better than me. I guarantee you that's, the, that's what you're going to hear. I've heard it with, I've talked about it with probably five or six of my coworkers, and I think I've heard it just about every time. Same answer. And if you haven't heard people say that, you either need to share the good news of Christ with them or because they need to hear it. They need to see you example, and they need you to talk with them about it. Or the harder truth, you may need to consider if you're the reason they're saying that about Christians in the first place. That doesn't just go for, like, me talking out to you. That goes for everyone. Me, Pastor David, Pastor Mike, Gage, LK, Jacob, my fiance, just everyone in general. We are called to that. We have to be aware of how we are looking to the outside world. I think Peter calls out the young people, particularly in this passage, because he knows how we think. He knows that we get the, I got this mentality, I'm doing things the right way, I can do things better than everyone else, I don't need the older generation. And he knows that. But Peter challenges the young people to lead in an amazing and a very subtle way. So how do we respond to those leading over us? Humbly. With submission to them as a show of respect, not only for the person in charge of your leadership, but also for God. By living it out. These are just the simple basics of our faith, and they're the basics that Liberty and the Voyage stand for as a ministry. Second thing I want you to consider is discernment. This passage is in context of good spiritual leadership. But what happens if you're under poor spiritual leadership? What happens if the person that you're under is not giving the full word of God? Or how do you find out if they're not teaching you the real truth? Matthew chapter 17 verses 15 through 20. We're not going to flip there, but do write that passage down because it's an amazing passage to read. That passage gives us a great idea how to discern those who claim Christ as head of their life, believe and teach what's non-scriptural, half-hearted, or just simply not true. I won't read the full passage, but to kind of paraphrase what that whole thing says, it uses the phrase, you know people by their fruits. What are fruits? It's their actions. It's how they live. It's how they teach. It's how they talk. You know them by how they live their life. So here's kind of a simple example for it. For those of you who don't know, I am engaged. Yes, come on, give it up for me. I actually, I, I actually found someone who's crazy enough to put up with me for the rest of her life. Why? I don't know, but we're just going to take it and run with it, all right? So obviously with being engaged, that means there's a wedding, and the wedding's coming up. And I kind of like start to look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, you know what? I could be in a little bit better shape. I've been eating too many donuts recently. A winter a bulking season has not stopped from two years ago. Like I, I got to get myself looking good. I got to get myself looking right. Okay. Like I don't want to be sit, standing at one end of the aisle watching my beautiful bride come down and she's got to look at Jabba the Hutt. I'm, I'm not here for that. Okay. I'm not here for that. So I go and do the only thing that I know how to do 
which is go to YouTube because it's how I find out all my valid information. I promise I didn't use that for the sermon. David, I promise I did not use that for the sermon. <laughs> so I go to YouTube and I click on some videos and I click on one and this is kind of what it, there's this guy that's on the video and he's very clearly overweight. He doesn't keep up with his hair. His clothes look sloppy. He's got a neck beard with a Cheeto sticking out of it. Like this guy is not exactly what I'm going for. It's not exactly what I'm looking for, but I was like, you know what? I like the title of the video. The video said, how to feel good about yourself, how to feel good about your body. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let's listen to this guy. So he gets on the video and he's sitting there and he's like, you know what? I found that the greatest thing and the greatest joy in my life is doing what pleases me, is doing what makes me happy because that's the only time that I feel good. And I find that a lot with food. So I eat what I want. I do what I want. I spend all this time playing video games or going to movies, and I enjoy my life better now than I have ever before. So, like, I stop watching that video. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Donuts, Krispy Kreme, I'm here for that. Taco Bell, I know I have low food standards. Don't at me. Like, I'll, I'll slide by Taco Bell any day of the week. But then I'm like, all right, let me look at another video just to be on the safe side because, you know, you got to cross-check your resources. So I see... Another video, and the thumbnail is this one dude who frankly looks like Thor's brother. Like, I'm like a little bit jealous myself, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of what I'm going for here. It's a little bit better than Cheeto guy. So let me see what this guy has to say. So this guy has this like huge whiteboard over here, and he says, all right, guys, now y'all have been asking a lot about my fitness plan to go from where I was to where I'm at now. And he shows like before and after photos and everything, and he said, here's what you got to do. You got to cut out fats, got to cut out sugars, got to watch this many calories, eat this many calories, eat this many meals, do this, do that, for like an entire like 10 minutes of him telling me how to do things. And then at the end of the video, he says, I know this is hard, I know this is difficult, and I know you all are going to struggle with this, but I can promise you that the rewards for it far surpass anything that you will struggle through with this. I'm a personal testimony of that. So my first thought is, okay, he mentioned the word kale there. So what is kale? So I go to Google, and I'm like, that's cool. That's what my cheeseburger eats, so I'm not going to eat that. Um, then he said the first thing was uh, no sugar. And you best believe when the hot and ready sign is on at Krispy Kreme, that Camry drifts like it's out of Tokyo Drift. I put that thing over the road, okay? <laughs> like that's just, that's just how I do it. That's just how it, just, just how it goes, okay? I'm just being honest with you all, being real. So what do y'all think, though, is going to happen if I follow that first video, if I follow the video of the guy very clearly giving me poor advice? I'm not going to reach my goal. I will have went into it thinking I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be fulfilled, and I'm going to be happy with life because I'm doing what I want and I'm following my heart and doing all these things. And at the end of the day, I'm going to get to that day and realize I failed. I thought I was on the right track, but I failed. So much like how listening to bad fitness advice can be harmful to your personal health, following poor spiritual leadership will negatively impact your life. It seems good on the forefront. What they say will seem good on the forefront. But when the testing and the trials come of life, what we think is good is only going to hurt us and leave us wanting. If we follow shallow, always uplifting, non-scriptural, and non-convicting leaders who contort or misuse the Bible and leave out the hardships, the true hardships of being a Christian, then we're going to have a shallow, weak, and misguided truth about what we say we believe. If you're under bad spiritual leadership, then leave. 
Stop listening to that person. Go seek better counsel. Your salvation literally depends on it. The salvations of other people that are going to be affected by your example depend on it. But those leaders that provide the truth, that live by the Bible, that pray for you and care for you and allow themselves to be living sacrifices so you may see their example, those are the ones you follow. Those are the ones you serve alongside of. I've seen David put a lot of heart and soul and service in this ministry, and he's a great leader. But even to that extent, he's not the only leader making the voyage possible. For those of you that just come here, there's a whole team of people that meet every Tuesday well before y'all get here so that way we can serve you as we are called to. There's a lot of good leaders in this church, and I'm very blessed to be able to serve alongside them. I want y'all to consider at this point how y'all are how good y'all are doing with being part of the flock, being part of the body of God. Have you had fights with people? Have you spread rumors about people? Have you put down other people? Go to that person and make amends. Have you had issues with leadership? Humble yourself. Allow God to make you receptive to the other person because it's what we're called to do. Third point I want us to look at tonight as we continue to look at 1 Peter 5. We come kind of to the last section of scripture here that I want to go over. There's a big shift here. This section brings up our third point. Peter's caution against the enemy. Peter's caution against the enemy. So let's read in verses 5 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 11. I'm sorry. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the last point is, be, be aware that the enemy is coming for you. It's... It compares Satan here to a roaring lion. And that is terrifying. And I want to make sure we're both thinking about the same lion here. This is not the lions from Lion King with a ditzy and lovable warthog and a strange meerkat that follow along and engage in musicals along the entire journey. That is not the kind of lion we're going for here. What I'm thinking of and what Peter's trying to get you to understand here is we're talking about the graphic animal plan in line where the lion is literally ripping the head off of a gazelle there's like blood and guts going everywhere. Everything is like falling apart. And I don't know why I'm watching this when I'm six years old and I'm still moderately traumatized by it, but it's fine. I need to go to therapy about it. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> That's the kind of line, though, that he wants to get in your head. That's the line that he wants, the one that is coming to seek, kill, and destroy. Because the enemy is coming for you. It clearly says it in verse 8. And it's a super simple truth, but odds are it probably hasn't made it to our heart. This whole chapter has that let's get back to basics mentality in it. So let's think about the severity of that in context of leadership. Think back to shepherding because, again, that's a huge analogy used throughout Scripture. The shepherds had to protect the flock from animals like lions that were attempting to harm them. And if one of the lions got a hold of the sheep, even one sheep, the shepherds that were responsible for that had to answer for it to their master. Why did you lose my sheep? What did you do wrong to get there? And then we can take it another step further. We can say that the lion is now, is now attacking the shepherd. 
The shepherd then has to defend himself because if he does not defend himself correctly, he will fall, either get hurt or die. And now the rest of the shepherds have to play damage control and try to keep up with what's going on with the rest of the flock. And odds are part of the flock is going to be lost. The master is still going to wonder and ask, how did this happen? How did you lose my sheep? And now let's make this a little bit more personal. When Satan, the lion here, attacks you and gets a foothold in your life and gets you to sin, to ruin your testimony, yourself, and those around you to the point where you die spiritually. Because when you die, those you are called to minister to die alongside you. So that lie, that drink, that gossip, that porn video, that jealousy, that adultery, that pride, that sin will kill you and those around you because you're not being an example. And they're going to see that. Sin will hamper your ministry. For the wages of sin is death. It's in Romans 6.23. It's serious, so let's treat it like it is. So you think, okay, that's pretty scary now. So how do I deal with it? As a community. As a community striving in unity. You look together. uh, My small group's been going over Acts and We've been going over that book and just the start of the church. And you see at the start and foundation of the church that it is this massive group of believers who are not perfect people. But they are people fully dedicated to the gospel. They are people fully dedicated to following and learning God despite the persecution, despite the problems that they have in their life. And it says that more was added to their number each and every day because of their service, because of how they lived. People looked at them and said, I want that. They prayed for each other. They supported one another. They gave to those who were in need. And above all else, they followed the will of God. So do that together. It's going to be the greatest way that you can fight your enemy is together. The last thing I want you all to think about is the church is called to unity with each other. This passage is referring to a group of people. It's a small detail, but again, we can't overlook it, especially when referring to the church. In fact, in the New Testament, the word for leadership or the different words they use for leadership are always plural. Always. There's never a point where, it's, where it says a singular leader unless it's calling out someone in specific like, hey, Brother David or hey, Brother Mike or something like that. They knew that this was only going to work by everyone chipping in with their strengths to help each other. It's practical. So as we start to close and the band comes up, I want you all to think about this one thing with me. I played soccer for nine years, and I loved it. It was a great sport, and I had so much fun with it. And anyone who's played any team sport knows the importance of teamwork. During the time while I was playing, we had one guy that came onto the team after the rest rest of us had kind of established everything, and we're like, hey, we know this guy's good. We know this guy's a great player. He's got so many talents. We can't wait to have him join our team. But after we uh, started to practice and play with him, we realized that he had one glaring flaw. Uh, he couldn't be a team player. He thought he was the greatest thing ever. He let his pride get in the way of him. So when we would go to play games, it was literally we were playing against our own team. We were playing against someone who was supposed to be helping us. Not intentionally. He thought he was in the right. He thought he was doing the right thing. 
but he was so focused on what he wanted and what he thought that he missed it. So during a practice one day, we ran a drill to where we showed him the importance of teamwork. The only way to finish the drill was to have a team, was to work as a team. And then he finally got it. He finally understood the importance of teamwork. What happened when he did? We won. We won a lot. Even won a championship that year. It works the same way in ministry. David can't run every aspect of his ministry. It's not possible. He can't prepare a sermon, deliver it, answer questions, talk to every single person before and after service, set up every single event, set up the sound, play in the band, and sing. He can't do it. And honestly, I'm glad he doesn't try. For anyone who's heard him sing, you know that that is not the best decision. I had the luxury and the blessing of hearing him like blast Justin Timberlake's the 2020 experience and like really get at it. And I just want to tell you, you don't want that voice uh, leading you in amazing grace. I can promise you that one. But you know who does a great job of singing? Lane Rice, Kira, Emily Grace, Daniel Wiggins. You know who's really awesome at setting up sound? Jeremy Olgin, Sam in the back right now. On the greeting team, to make people feel welcome, you have people like Aza Davis, Ben Kennedy, Jacob Haney, helping people at the Next Step Center. You got people like Taylor Snyder and Jeremy Jackson that are always there to help you move on and take the next step with your faith. There are a lot more people that that work at this. That I just can't think of the names right now. It's an amazing team here. And it's a blessing to be working with these teams. And it's a blessing to see unity fully displayed. Effective leadership is a team effort. Everyone working together in unison, setting aside the quarrels and the stupid fights, letting go of pride, embracing humility, running from sin, leaning into God's saving and unending grace, striving towards the one mission that every single person as a Christian has been called to, which is to minister to as many people as possible. That's our purpose, so let's do it. Let's lead like Jesus did. Let's set the example for the church of what it means to be believers as young people. Let's serve others. Let's strive towards God and his perfect will. Let's set aside the fear that the enemy is trying to get us to fall for and the sin he wants us to stay entangled in. Set aside your doubts and everything that is keeping you from it and just do the will of God in your life. You're called to it. You are worthy to do it. God said 